Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm David Gobi Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back for another live show this week. UFC San Antonio, live from, get this, San Antonio. It's, of course, headlined by the Bantamweight tilt between Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Chito Vera. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you another dog at a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, in addition to all that, we've got the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is an interview with Trey Ogden, who is getting ready for his UFC San Antonio fight. And a little bit later on, we'll be talking to Daniel Pineda, who's also fighting on this card. So, before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Picket app. The Picket social betting platform allows you to sync all of your bets from all your sportsbooks in one nice, neat spot, helping you stay on top of the ways that you're the most profitable. Not only that, but it's a great place to connect with other bettors, whether that's showing off your big score to some of your friends or trying to connect with a following in the sports betting community. Picket's got you covered. New veteran and experienced bettors have all joined the Picket community. So what are you waiting for? Download the Picket app on the Google Play Store or the App Store today and get in on the fun. Picket brings you this episode of the Tough Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Trey Ogden, who fights Manuel Torres at UFC San Antonio. That fight is on March 25th. So, Trey, I wanted to start off with the, the beginning of your UFC career, if you don't mind. You know, you obviously lose that real close split decision that some people really thought you won against Jordan Levitt. But then you get this rebound victory over, you know, kind of a, a youngster that a lot of people were high on in Daniel Zellhuber. What was the feeling like to hear your name announced as the winner for the first time in the Octagon? Um, you know, it was good. Uh, it was interesting because that, that particular victory, you would think uh, on paper would be like the most meaningful one to me. But really what it was, was like more of a validation of my whole journey to that point. And so I was more just kind of taking in the journey that got me there. And so, like, give us a little background of what you mean by that. You know, obviously, you know, you were a pro for quite a long time. You know, you made your pro debut all the way back in 2015. So, like, is Give, give us a little bit of the background of what you mean exactly by, you know, that journey. Well, I dealt with a lot of adversity. I've been knocking on the UFC's door since like 2016, 17, and I put everything I had into it. And, uh, you know, I thought that I was a lot closer to the UFC when I wasn't, and I had some setbacks, you know, and then I got myself all the way back into position again in 2000. It's by the end of 2020, I want to say. And, um, and so I had a fight booked against a UFC vet on a regional show for early 2021. And I got like a crazy, I was in like the best shape of my life. And I got just like a crazy random injury fight week. Like my last pad session, I popped the rib, like super weird. It's like never happened to me. And I had to pull out of a fight for the first time in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I had never gotten an opportunity on contender series. I've been passed up a bunch. I've been passed up for a bunch of short notice fights. I just was, you know, it was, I was getting older. I was like 29, 30 years old. And so they, we rescheduled for another fight, main event, fight, task fight. 
uh, for like May in 2021. And for the second time in my career and back to back, I had to pull out due to another injury, which turned out to be like a four month uh, conundrum where I basically had a dislocated SC joint in my collarbone. That's where your collarbone attaches to your sternum. And uh, that was a brutal one. And that kept me from being able to really train right for like three or four months. And so I sat like a total of like 10 months, uh, you know, in like my peak age and peak technical capacity uh, on the bench and uh, didn't, didn't get, you know, another like year where I didn't get into the UFC, but I, uh, I, I stayed true to what I was doing. Um, and I stayed focused and, um, I ended up getting the looking for a fight fight book, uh, November of 2021. And so I got signed on my 32nd birthday. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just a really long road. I was, I had, I went through the real regional scene, like a lot, I talk about this sometimes, but like a lot of kids these days are getting six and oh, seven and oh, they go to contenders, they get paid five and five and they get a contract if they win. It's just not the world I came up in. I fought the toughest guys every time out on the regional scene and for like six years before I got my chance. So, you know, it was just a good uh, vindication of that journey and that I was on the right track all along. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I, I got a couple of questions, too, uh, to follow up from there. You know, you mentioned feeling like you were really close as early as, like, you know, 2016, 2017. And then, obviously, the injury stuff being a, a second time you felt like you were really close and, and kind of had to stop. Were, were either of those times, did you did you start to have doubts about, you know, yourself and your career as an MMA fighter? I mean, at one point, when I was 30 years old, a brown belt, I didn't have a job or a career, and I lost the main event fight on Access TV, where if I won that fight, I was pretty much going to the UFC next. Uh, that was 2019, uh, September of 2019. That was the lowest moment in my journey. Um, everyone counted me out at that time. That was my last chance. I was 30 years old, and I was just looking at my wife like, I don't, like, I don't know, maybe I was delusional. You know, like, I don't know how I got, why did I think I could do this kind of thing? And um, I sat with that for a minute, and uh, it was the lowest point of my journey. And from there, that was when, that was when I was really, really in the desert. I talk about the desert a lot. I was in the freaking desert, man. And, uh, and, uh, I realized that at one point in that desert that that was that what seemed like in that time in 2019 to be the end of my story. I realized that that was the starting place of my story and that I was going to come back and that I was going to battle back and that I was going to do everything I set out to do and that I would be able to look at fighters going through adversity or anyone going through adversity in life and speak to uh speak to like hey this is when when i thought i was there i it all fell apart and i was nowhere and i still got all the way back that that was where my journey really started and i just didn't realize that in the moment and then i did realize that and i realized that it was like a like a deep spiritual vision that i had in this beautiful place that uh that uh um trying to remember what it's called bouchard gardens bouchard gardens of victoria canada you ever get a chance to go anyone that hears this you should go it's a beautiful beautiful place and i had a beautiful spiritual vision in that place and i basically realized that i would have to finish three opponents in a row to atone for my loss and get back on track and i proceeded to finish two guys over the next little bit and then um i uh the the third fight was the looking for a fight uh opportunity and it was on my birthday and i finished jj okonovich and that was my third one and dana white signed me and uh, right there on my birthday, and I just knew when I got the fight for looking for a fight that, like, my vision was correct and that, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that I was going to do that. 
and that that's how it was going to go. And, uh, and it was a beautiful journey. And during that time, the lowest point at September 2019, I didn't have a job. I decided to open a gym and to open a gym and get in the UFC at the same time. And now my gym is thriving, marathon MMA. I got 25 fighters under me. A bunch of them are undefeated. Got a ton of pros that are about to hit the UFC themselves. Um, we got a couple other guys on the UFC roster in my gym now. And, uh, and it's all rolling. Just, just, oh, wait, vision is just unfolding right now. That's awesome to hear and, and super inspirational for everybody else out there. Now, I, I want to ask you about that that piece, about coaching while you fight, because I've heard from some fighters that, you know, it's it's an extra thing that they do. And, you know, obviously the money is, is part of it and helping other people out is part of it. But some have said that it's given them real advantages when they're in the cage because they see things they wouldn't typically see. They see things from an angle they wouldn't typically see. Do you feel like that's true of you since you've started, you know, leaning into the coaching side of things as well? Yeah, 100%. Um, on so many different layers and dimensions, it's not it's, – it's crazy. Like, I've learned so much about myself as a competitor by coaching people through competition and watching their processes. I've – technically, I'm on the mat about six to nine hours a day. I teach four 90-minute classes a day. I'm with my guys all day, every day. I'm studying film uh, when I'm not with them. I study their opponents. I'm their matchmaker. I matchmake all their fights. I put together the game plans. I train them for the fight. Um, so another thing is, you know, I have essentially mastered the basics in a, to a degree where I couldn't forget them if I had to because I'm coaching and cueing them, like, like a lot and at a big volume and watching all the patterns play across throughout the room four times a day, every day. Like uh, other fighters I see, they, they, they get good at fighting and they forget the basics and they're never even thinking about it, really. They're just instinctual. They're not that organized. They just, they just go in there and do what they do, but they can't even quite tell you everything that they do. And I can tell you down to every minute detail about every position and every tactic and when to do what. And it's just fresh on my mind because I'm just doing it all day, every day. Well, that's awesome to hear. Now, we, we want to talk about your chance to actually do that in the cage. But before we do, uh, there's a question I like to ask all my fighters. I, I like to get the name, the nickname story for where your fight name comes from. And you've got one of the more interesting ones I, I see posted all over, uh, you know, the different Tapology or SureDog accounts. And that's the Samurai Ghost. Do you mind telling me where Samurai Ghost comes from? Yeah, it was uh, given to me by the martial arts gods in a deep sacred vision, which was two years after the uh, vision I had in Bouchard Gardens. And it was uh, when I was in my, uh, like, one-year injury desert, I had the vision of the Okanovich fight. I literally saw the fight. Like, it was crazy. Uh, I saw the whole thing play out. I saw, I saw it play out from, like, a spiritual standpoint. And I felt the fight. I felt Okanovich's energy a year before I got to the cage with him. And in this uh, vision, I, I was I was told, I was shown that I was possessed with the ghost of a dead samurai from the time that I was really young. And that that is why I'm so, like, almost tortured to continue down this path. And uh, that I had been resisting that possession of mine to a touch and questioning it. And that if I would just, if I would just give into it and get into alignment with that, and not resist it, but lean into it that uh, no man's warrior spirit could stand to mine. And I saw what would happen if I got into alignment with it to my opponent's spirit, and that was J.J. Okonovich, and it did happen right in front of my eyes exactly as the vision took place. Just like I, in my pre-fight interviews with Okonovich, 
I spoke to exactly how the fight would go, exactly how I would finish him, and the exact time frame that I would do it in, and I did it, down to the minute. I love that. I love that. Now, let's talk about your next chance to to prove yourself and to, to really put this together as a winning streak. And that's when you fight Manuel Torres in UFC San Antonio. Now, Emmanuel Torres, kind of new guy to the UFC. Had you heard of him before they offered him to you? And, and if so, what were sort of your first reactions to him? I didn't. I hadn't heard of him. I didn't know who he was, so I just had to look him up. And so now, and now having looked him up, you know, like what, what are sort of your, your first impressions of, you know, getting to see, you know, maybe his fight with Frank Camacho or, or Coleman? Yeah, my impression is that he has not been in a mixed martial arts arena with anything like what he's about to encounter. Uh, technically, tactically, energetically, physically, he fought nobody anything like me. No one on the caliber of me. No one that presents the challenges that I'm going to present. Um, I don't think he's as skilled or uh, diverse in attack or carries as many danger factors as my last opponent, Daniel Zaluber. Um, you know, he's very one-dimensional. He's very obvious in his approach. He's an instinctual athlete. He's not an organized technician or master of his craft, that's for sure. And so give us a prediction. I, I always like to end him on one of those. How does this one end on March 25th? Yeah, I'll submit him in under five minutes for sure. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Trey Ogden, who fights Manuel Torres at UFC San Antonio. That fight, once again, is on March 25th. Trey, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, brother. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Trey Ogden. I once again have Dan, your company for you. joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, uh, I feel like we got to start here. The This past weekend, an incredible event. Uh, the judges were a little bit wonky ac- across the course of the night. You know, there were some questionable decisions early on. But it seems like they mostly got it right in the main event. Leon Edwards wins by a majority decision. Two judges give him 49-46s. One judge gives it a 47-47 draw. How did you score that fight? Uh, I So I would like to go back and watch it. I hate to say, like, what I saw it as I was watching it live. But I thought it was Leon three to two. Um, and I know a lot of people gave him four. I actually thought it was just three to two. And you could almost make a case if I'm doing my math correctly off the top of my head with the fence grab. And if that's a 10 eight, uh, that, you know, I thought we were headed towards a draw as they were reading the scores. But, you know, it's just like both fighters said, it's high level MMA. It was a serious game of MMA chess. Leon did a great job, other than the fence grabbing, of shutting down the wrestling game, which is what I thought was going to propel Kamara to a victory last week. We talked about that in our breakdown. I thought he would uh, try to deploy a more wrestle-heavy game. He couldn't do that. And it looked like that was on his mind that a few times. Um, so my props to Leon, but I do think, you know, it's fine. He He won that decision. And if they ran it back, not immediately, but down the road, I'd watch it again. What did you think? Yeah, in real time, I scored round two for Kamar Usman as well as round three, which he would have won 10-8 with the fence grab. So I, I had it as a draw. I went back and watched. I think I'm still okay with my scorecard of it being a draw. But with that being said, first of all, there's no way that Kamaru won. And I kind of feel better that this the, the book is closed. You know, I, I, like if we were 1-1-1 one, one one right now and that was a draw – and we're talking about possibly running back. 
I don't love that. Again, I don't love a fourth fight between them. Now, granted, I like it a whole hell of a lot more than, you know, shoehorning Colby Covington into a title picture he doesn't belong in. But with that being said, like, there are lots of options at welterweight, even ones that aren't Colby Covington, that I prefer to a fourth fight, even if that one was a draw. So, you know, give me Bilal Muhammad, give me Shavkat Rachmanov, give me, you know, whatever contender pops up here. Uh, and I hope that that's what they do next, and, and Leon Edwards holds his ground on it. Yeah, I, I think that's totally fair. And there's so many options. We know they're going with Colby. I mean, listen. Are they, though? Fair, are they, though? I'm going to say, are they? Because well, when, okay. when we say we know that what they're doing and we know that Dana White's doing that, it's not like it could be the first time that Dana White said that they're definitely doing something and they're not definitely doing something, right? Like, it, it totally could happen that, like, this was – to piss off Leon or this was to get contract negotiations. or this was to make sure Leon doesn't ask for an extra 50 K because he can't ask for 50 K unless he fights Colby. And instead he's got to ask for, you know, the exact same as he signed for. And now he can fight below. You know, like, I, I hear that. Like, that's what Dana said. Dana also said women will never be in the UFC. So like, I'm going to pump the brakes just a little bit before I say, I know they're doing Colby. Yeah, I hear you on that. I mean, the fact that he was the alternate this weekend and did the weight cut, I feel like just on a like they're don't get me wrong, they're shysters. And Dana White is like the classic fight promoter that I agree. You can't trust a word he says, but I just can't imagine that they would have him fly out to England. I think the promise was you do this. Dude, they just they just did that to, to Sergei Pavlovich. They just flew that that dude from Russia to to Las Vegas. He cut weight, made weight for a heavyweight title fight as the backup. And then as soon as the fight was over, they were like, Stipe Miocic is next in line. Like, they've done that. Like, that just (laughs) happened to Pavlovich. (laughs) I hear you. Colt, but here's the the difference. Colby's different. I get it. Colby's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) he's, you know, he's a character and he's got a built-in following, you know, whatever the case may be. But here's the bottom line. Even if they force Colby down our throats, quote unquote, and let's also be fair. I mean, Colby does have a pretty good resume, you know, past the past two fights or whatever. You know, if you look at it, he's like eight and two in his last 10 or whatever it is. I don't have it in front of me. Um, But this division is just loaded. I mean, do I want Colby to have the next one? No. But, you know, Gilbert Burns versus Leon Edwards is interesting to me. I have no interest in um Masvidal unless he goes on a serious win streak I get they have the backstage beef and there's video and the UFC loves that kind of shit but I'm also very interested in Chimiev uh there as well yeah if if he can make it back to 70 right there's a ton I have not there's just a ton of options there so uh I, I like what you said though the book is closed uh but let's open a new book on uh UFC San Antonio because it's this weekend. So let's break out our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. We'll break down a couple of fights we like, odds to play, dogs we like, a parlay to play. We're basically getting you ready for all your gambling needs. But Gumby, before we get into Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC San Antonio, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Five Stock and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. 
All right. Well, we are uh, looking at a main event with title implications because Corey Sandhagen is going to be taking on uh, Marlon Marais. And you want to talk about 170 being stacked. I got news for you, pals. 135 is pretty stacked, too, with a lot of worthy challengers. And the winner of this fight will make a very good case for themselves. Corey Sanhagen uh, is coming off of a win over Song Yudong. He lost to Piotr Jan before that. That was for the uh, Bantamweight Championship, uh, the interim, I should say, but it was a fight of the night. He lost to TJ Dillashaw on a razor-close split decision loss before that. But he had beaten Frankie Edgar and uh, the aforementioned Marlon Marais before that. So if we peel it back, he's 3-2 and two in his last five, with the two losses being to Piotr Jan, the one-time champion, and TJ Dillashaw, the former champion, in a razor-thin margin. Uh, so Corey Sandhagen, top of this division. Marlon... Uh, Marlon Vera, uh, excuse me, I got very confused with my Marlins and Marylands. Uh, Marlon Vera is on a four-fight win streak. He's beaten Davy Grant, Frankie Edgar, Rob Font, and Dominic Cruz, coming off a head kick KO over Dominic Cruz to earn this fight. That was a performance of the night, so he's 4-0 in his last four. Uh, he is uh, the plus-130 dog is Vera, and then Sanhagen is a minus-160 favorite. Who you got? I'm going to go dog in the main event here. Uh, I, I actually, when this fight was posted, I, I thought I was going to go Corey Sanhagen. But the more and more I think about it, I think this fight is going to go to the judges' scorecards. Uh, neither of these guys has been finished outside of Corey Sanhagen one time getting backpacked by Aljamain Sterling. I think that one's kind of out of play. And it, also, if you look at the kind of guys that these two have knocked out, they're like over-the-hill chinny guys, right? Like both of them knocked out Frankie Edgar, you know, add Dominic Reyes, or Dominic Cruz, not Dominic Reyes, but also Dominic Reyes would work too. Um, Dominic Cruz, you know, Marlon Marias. These are guys anybody's knocking out at this point in time. So it, they're not out there knocking out dudes who don't get knocked out. And with them both being so tough and being so durable, I don't see this fight ending with a finish either. And then when you ask yourself, why did Corey Sanhagen lose those decisions to Piotr Jan? And why did he lose that decision to TJ Dillashaw? And the answer is really simple. The volume's there for Corey Sanhagen, but the damage and the impact is not. And the judges see that. The judges see your head get whipped back. The judges see you start to limp on that leg when you've gotten it jacked up. And, and Corey just doesn't do that kind of damage to other people. Cheeto does, and I think it's going to play up on the judges' scorecards, and I like him a lot here by winning three or four rounds. Very interesting. You know, Sanhagen, I find a lot of people have trouble uh, dealing with his length, um, but I like what you're saying. Four rounds, though. I think he's going to win four rounds. That's my prediction. I, I think we got a 49-46 on the way. All right. You heard it here first. From Gumby at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, let's move on to Holly Holm. And uh, by the way, I I tend to agree with you. Um, I don't hate the dog pick. I could totally see it. It's very close for me to call. So when I'm forced to look at something where I'm like, man, it's so tight. Um, you know, why not get that dog money on a on a on a fight? I feel somewhat of a toss up. So I like that pick but I don't know that I like four rounds to one. All right, let's go Holly Holm, minus 200. Giannis Santos, a plus 170. Uh, Holly Holm, if you've ever heard of her, is a former champion. 
she's two and one in her last three. She's coming off a split decision loss to Caitlin Vieira. It's funny to think about that Holly Holm debuted in the UFC off her illustrious boxing career all the way back in 2015. She's been fighting now for eight years in the UFC. So let's see, Ronda debuted in 2013 and was gone by 2015-16. Whoever would have thought that Holly Holm would have uh, bordering on three times as long a career as long a career as Ronda Rousey, who they built that division around uh, when the women first debuted in the UFC. It's just interesting to think about. Um, and Yana Santos at the plus 170 dog. She's a live dog without a doubt. You have to respect what she's done so far in uh, in MMA. She is coming off a uh, loss to Irina Aldana, but she beat Caitlin Vieira before that, and she beat, I'm going to butcher this name, Julija Stolirienko before that. Uh, lost to Aspen Ladd before that. So two and two in her last four, the dog here. And facing Holly, again, a former champion, but kind of on like a win two, lose one streak ever since losing her title all those many years ago. Who you got? You weren't bad at saying Julia Stoliarenko, but, you know, pretty darn close. Uh, I'm going with Holly Holm here. I I think she's just going to pick Giannis Santos apart. While I like Giannis Santos, the types of people who beat Holly Holm are the people who can bully her, who can win the clinch battles with her. Giannis Santos isn't that. So I'm going with Holly Holm here. I'm pretty confident in it, too. All right. Um, Let's talk about Manuel Cap, a minus 200 favorite, and Alex Perez. A plus 170 dog. Uh, Perez is on a two-fight losing streak. Manuel Cap is on a three-fight winning streak, coming off a win over David Dvorak. Um Who are you taking here? You, you feeling the dog in Alex no, Perez? No, you know, I love Alex Perez. The, the layoff really worries me about him. And the other thing I will say is the only reason I think these lines are as close as they are is I think Manel Cape is, is uh, you know, just one of those guys who – he got a bad rap in his first two UFC fights. He ta- fought two absolute killers in Alexandre Pantoja, and then he fought, uh, who was the other one? Ma- Matthews Nicolau. And I just think that, like, in those two fights, he didn't put his foot on the gas, and I think he could have beat those guys anyway. Since then, he started putting his foot on the gas, and, and nobody is stopping him. He looks like he could be a real cha- title challenger. So, Manel Cap is 100% going to be Alex Perez on the long layoff here. I'm a big fan of him. I think he can get it done with his wrestling. I think he can get it done with his hands. I think you're going to see some crazy knockout power here. All right. Our dog of the week, official dog of the week, is Tamiras Vidal, a plus 115. Let's hear it. Yeah, Tamiras Vidal, speaking of knockout power, coming off that big flying knee KO in her UFC debut. She's fighting Haley Cowan, and this is as much of a fade on Haley Cowan as it is a pick of Vidal because – I like Cowan. I think she's got a lot of raw talent and she's got a lot of athleticism, but I think she relies on that a little bit too much here. And she's fighting a younger, probably equally athletic fighter in Tamiris Vidal and one who's started to put things together a little bit better than Cowan does, who still kind of has her techniques very separate. So I like Vidal to put things together a little bit and have a little bit more complete game plan. And as a slight dog, I, I dig that line too. Our parlay to play is the aforementioned Cap, a minus 200, and CJ Vergara, a minus 275. Two strong uh, favorites, two to, two to one, almost three to one with Vergara. Put it together, though, get you plus 105 odds, break it down. Yeah, so I already mentioned why I like Manel Cap. I, I think he's just going to absolutely steamroll uh, uh, 
Alex Perez in there. And for CJ Vergara, he's fighting Daniel Da Silva, a guy who consistently puts himself in bad positions. This guy's 0-3 in the UFC, and he's getting finished all the time. He's putting himself in harm's way constantly. And Vergara put away Bruno Correa on Contender Series. He's got great knees to the body. He's got great right hook. You're like He's a guy who will hurt you if you stay in the wrong place for too long. Daniel Da Silva stays in the wrong place all the time. So give me that plus money on these two surefire favorites. Boom. That does it for this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We sure hope you appreciate some of this advice we're giving out. We're pretty good at what we do. You know, we're not really great at promoting ourselves, but eh, I'll, if I'm forced to do it, gun to my head, we usually get this stuff right. So let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Same thing goes for the IG. We're not on Facebook. We don't like Facebook. Gumby, we're having a party now, though. What should we do next? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Daniel the Pit Pineda, who is fighting on this card. And we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Daniel the Pit Pineda, who fights Tucker Lutz at UFC San Antonio. That fight is on March 25th. So, Daniel, I wanted to start here. This is your second stint in the UFC, and it's been a little bit snake bit, right? Like, you know, you had an opponent miss weight. You put it on a good performance anyway. You got the eye poke cancellation in there. Jamal Emmer's out of that fight. Has it been frustrating to not really be able to get your momentum going in this second run? Yeah, man. You know, as soon as I got back in the UFC, I felt good, and then all this started happening, you know? And then, when it was my turn, I ended up backing out of a fight because I got hurt. So it's just freaking been thing after thing after thing. It's been crazy. And, and as far as your injury, obviously it, it took you out of the fight, but how, how have you been able to train and recover? I don't want you to give away all the, the details of your injury, but have you been able to keep it in the gym pretty consistently through all that? Well, I was out. I was out of the gym. I mean, I was coaching for like maybe six months. I was out six or seven months. And then I started coming back slowly, slowly. And now I'm back, you know, 100% now. And, and again, you know, like not, not to harp on the idea of it being frustrating to be out that long, but is it hard for you, especially like you said, as, as you seemingly were coming into, you know, a whole new stage to be out of the gym for that long and, and feel like sort of you're, you're missing time? Man, you know what? At, at end of the day, uh, shit happens for a reason, you know, and look where I ended up in Houston, my backyard, you know, in San Antonio, my fight in San Antonio right beside Houston, so... I'm happy, man. Everything happens for a reason against a good opponent, too. So I'm excited. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. You know, obviously, that was one of the next ones on my list. You did get a couple of, like, you know, nice large crowds because a lot of people in, in this area are not getting a ton of heart, huge crowds. You've got a couple of pay-per-views in there. But, like, this is a, a long time off. You're returning to a hometown crowd. How excited were you when you found out they were coming back to Texas? Man, as soon as they told me you want to fight in San Antonio, I didn't even know who the opponent was. It was a automatically yes. They just asked, uh, would you want to <laughs> Yes, whoever it is. Send me your contract, and it was done after that. We set, we signed it right off the bat. So I got to imagine, you know, you've been in the UFC for a really long time. You've had a chance to have fights in big arenas. Are are you bringing everybody for this one? Is Is every single family member you know coming to this fight? Family, friends, everybody, literally everybody. Yeah, everybody's coming to San Antonio. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm excited, man. It's, it's, it's literally, what, two hours away from my hometown, so everybody's going to be coming. And we got a couple other fighters fighting that same day. 
Well, not the same day, the day before. So, I mean, like I said, it's crazy. Well, that that's great to hear. Now, uh, before we get talking too much about that fight with Tucker Lutz, and I do want to get into the stylistics uh, fight with Tucker Lutz, I did want to ask you about your nickname, because I'm a guy who likes to hear the story of, of fighters' nicknames, but I don't know where the pit comes from. Do, do you mind sharing with us the story of how you became Daniel the Pit Pineda? So pretty much whenever I first started, man, I, you know, as you can tell in all my fights, right, like I have what, all finished, 100%, 100% finish rate. I have not never won a decision, all wins by finish. So when I fight, I come straight forward. And they're like, man, you're fucking vicious. You're fucking vicious. You never stop coming forward. Even if I get rocked, I'm still coming forward. They're like, you're like a fucking pit bull, man. You're like a pit bull. And my brother was a bully already. They called him a bully. So they're like, man, we can't call him a bully because he fights like a bully, but we didn't call him the pit. That was my coach, Tony Orozco and Bob Perez. They just started calling me the pit, man. They're like, man, you're like bitch, like a freaking pit bull, man. Because I just keep coming forward. I don't stop. You know, you hit me. It's Mexican style, man. We keep going forward. I like that. And so so you, you got the pit and the bully. So you get the pit bully combined. Well, my brother's the bully. He used to be the bully until he retired. They used to just call me the pit. So that's, you know what I'm saying? That's why they couldn't give me the bully because I was my brother. <laughs> I dig it. You know, I... but now they, just, they left me with the pit. I dig it. I dig it. All right. Well, let's talk about the pits next time in the cage, which is up against Tucker Lutz. You know, like you said, you, you weren't concerned about the name that was going to be across the cage from you. You were excited to be fighting down in Texas no matter what. But when they did finally give you that name, it was Tucker Lutz, a guy who, you know, has been in the UFC for a little bit. Did you have initial thoughts on him as an opponent? No, never. Nobody. All right, no matter what, man, I'm going to fight anybody. Uh, I'm not sure I'm picking nobody. I'm fighting whoever they put in front of me. Any chance the UFC gives me, I'm going to jump on there and we're going to fight. I dig it. Now, you, you mentioned, too, that you're, you know, obviously you're a guy who likes to come forward. You're a guy who likes to finish. But you're also a guy who has gotten a lot done with his wrestling, particularly in this last run. You know, the Herbert Burns fight. You know, you took him to the ground, elbowed the hell out of him. You know, you've gotten work done on the ground lately, but you're up against a guy who loves to wrestle in Tucker Lutz. What do you think about how your wrestling matches up with his? We'll see, man. I, I, have, I haven't really shown my wrestling, man, because, you know, all these fucking guys are good, man. They're good in the ground. They're good in the ground. They're good standing up. So it's kind of hard to go full blast wrestling. But if he wants to fucking make it a wrestling match, it's a difference between my wrestling and his wrestling. If I take him down, I'm going to ground and pound the shit out of him. If he takes me down, he's going to try to hold me down. And that's where the difference comes. And so, you know, I usually like to, to kick these things at the end with a prediction. You, it seemingly you gave me one already being with the 100% finish rate, but give us a give us an official prediction on this one. How do you see this one ending? Uh, I'm going to go by second round TKO. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Daniel Pineda, who fights Tucker Lutz at UFC San Antonio. That fight, once again, is on March 25th. Daniel, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. You have a good one. We'll see you on San Antonio. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Pickett. And reminder, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA, in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Dana Gubby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.